0: i Spaces Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, October 21st, 2022. Today on the Ether, UPA celebrates Global Encryption Day, featuring speakers from Manta, Orchid, Secret, Zcash, and NIM. Let's take a listen.
1: Oh, I see our first person, Ahmed. Uh, I'm going to bring you on as a uh, speaker. And as we're... Doing this. Still got a few more uh, people that we're bringing on board. Got Orchid inviting over to speak as well. So we've got Orchid and Ahmed that have just been invited. Um, Bring on other people as I see them pop in. All right. Ahmed's up on board. Now we're uh, waiting on just a couple of other people. Hope everyone's doing okay today. And going to start the conversation off um, in just a few minutes, get a quick round of introductions. Uh, I'm also going to talk a little bit about um, privacy and encryption, got some questions coming up, and then would love to just kind of end the conversation by opening it up to conversation and questions from the community. Um, and there's two ways that we can do this. The first way is uh, if you just go into our um, the the tweet that we posted uh and just post your questions there you know i i can go and read those questions out loud to the uh panelists and then the second way is just you know raise your hand on this uh twitter live or twitter space and uh we'll bring you up and you can ask directly yourself Um, yeah so that being said right we are just uh waiting on a a couple of other speakers, and uh, we'll be starting in just a couple of minutes. Um, Orchid, I'm not sure if um, you're representing Travis or not, but I'm uh, (laughs) invited you up here to come speak. So, you know, you can tell Travis to come on board or, um, you know, just jump up here yourself. Either way, either either version of you guys are welcome. And I believe we're also waiting on uh, Jess from uh, Nim's side. I like this lo-fi study music. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to give people some indication that the space is going to start, you know, but not really have to speak this whole time because it's just been a lot of speaking throughout the week already, you know?
2: that's
3: very understandable well happy global encryption day everyone
1: yeah happy global encryption day to you too this is like privacy christmas or privacy i don't know (laughs) yeah private
2: the the biggest holiday and privacy day or privacy year
1: every
4: day is privacy day
2: wow that's deep all right we'll just give it a couple or more minutes to locate
1: travis and jess um and then we'll just go
2: ahead and get started jess is on let's see can you see her ah i see two other listeners oh man i don't know if i can uh, I don't see Jess, Candice. Do you see her? Go down the list and look at all the people that are here. Um,
1: Jess, if you're here, if you could, like, raise your hand, maybe, maybe that would help. Oh, but just FYI, you have to um, join on your mobile device. That's probably, mm, that's been kind of the issues in the past. Travis, there you go. Well, I'm going to follow you, then I'm going to invite you to speak. All right, how's everyone liking this chill, lo-fi elevator music? Trying to give a little ambiance to the room. Let's see. Oh, perfect. Requested. Bringing on Jess. And then um, Travis is connecting as well. And now we've got the whole gang. All right, now I'm going to slow fade out the lo-fi music so it's a smooth transition into uh, my voice. (laughs) Cool. So welcome, everyone. Yeah. Thank you guys all for being here, Uh, the speakers, as well as everyone in the audience. I know that we'll probably have more people trickling in and out as we continue to have the conversation throughout. but for everyone just getting here, I uh, wanted to first and foremost just say, you know, happy Global Encryption Day. I'm glad that you are all making it out here on a Friday night to, or Friday afternoon or Friday morning, depending on where you are, um, to chat with us about encryption privacy, uh, specifically around Web3. The way that we're going to be doing this conversation today, I definitely want it to be very open-ended. Uh, So, you know, starting off, we've got a few panelists on the board, and we'll just go with a round of introductions, uh, going into some questions just to kind of set the mood and understand a little bit more about, you know, where we're coming from, where we're headed, especially because all the panelists on today's uh, talk are all amazing builders in the Web3 space. And then afterwards, I just want to open up the conversation more to the community side. And so we'll be taking questions and bringing people on to ask questions or even just join the conversation. Um, So, yeah, with that being said, we'll just go ahead and get started. I would love to just start off with the round of intros and the way that everything is kind of uh, or everyone's appearing on my roster. uh, Travis, you're you're first. So, uh, you know, you've got the mic.
5: Oh, great. Well, thanks. I'm so happy to be on. Um, And I, yeah, I I work at Orchid. Our mission is to get everybody connected uh, to the open internet. And I'm the head of product, and I do a lot of marketing work for Orchid as well. And I'm really happy to be here, and happy Global Encryption Day.
1: All right. Welcome, Travis and the Orchid team. Uh, Next up, we've got Jess.
6: Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Oh cool. All right. <clears throat> I had a bit of problems joining in. I was in but you couldn't hear me nor I could raise my hand. So now I joined with my phone. All good. Yeah, well I'm Jess. I am also head of product at and a co-founder. And um yeah, basically deal with daily, day-to-day um, acts of like, you know, um defining our product offering and building it as well as a bunch of other things um, and i don't know if you know what we're doing i can explain that a bit later but in general we're building a uh, decentralized privacy network which is a mixnet, net and uh, it's up and running it kind of works it needs a lot of optimization but we are very much looking forward to make it more accessible and building more things on it and happy encryption day everybody
1: Awesome, welcome, Jess, and uh, the rest of the Nim team. I know you're not the you're not the only speaker representing Nim today. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, I, I think I, I kind of want to take a pause uh, because there's a, there's another question I kind of wanted to throw into the intro as well. Uh, this will be pretty fun. I don't know if you guys have any examples off the top of your head, but you know, one thing I'm super curious about is like, what is the most Terrible privacy experience you or someone you know has had uh, either inside or outside of web three as as kind of part of your intro, so we'll kind of step backwards and you know jess, why don't you kind of take the mic to to start us off there
6: Sure. Um, so you don't want Travis to go I would. Um, I mean well of course privacy experience uh, I mean, apart from like uh, when you connect to VPNs or I don't know, um, you know, these current existing tools that you kind of trust them and you don't know like, okay, am I really being protected? Who's really looking at this? If something goes wrong, who's gonna, you know, what's gonna happen to that data? Is someone's going to like, you know, release that somewhere. I mean, all those, all those questions are always in your head, but um, I think something funny Recently, that happened that I wanted a friend of mine was asking like, okay, um, he was new to crypto and was uh, wanted to um, use uh, some of his crypto money and was asking me. So I've heard like you know was had heard about tornado cash and was like you know okay how does this thing work? And because tornado cash wasn't working, so I was trying to show him uh, zk money. And I mean I know I totally know. I mean we're at the same stage as they are. um, All of us are basically building these prototypes. Things don't really work necessarily all the time. So I tried to very, um, um, I think, victoriously was trying to show him like you know these advance adv- advances in uh, cryptocurrency and technology and try to show him how he can uh, shield like twenty dollars um, throughout the process. with lost the twenty dollars. It wasn't clear what twenty dollars worth of ETH went. Um, the second time we did it, it worked. So there are these glitches. I think that was the the funniest uh, recent I think failure that I had with uh privacy tech. So. Yeah. That was it for me. Um
2: Oh man. All
6: right. Well,
1: <laughs> hey, if if there is anyone from Aztec in this group that wants to come up and, you know, redeem yourself yet, right now.
6: <laughs> I yet haven't had the chance to I, I know I I know, I know them there, but um I haven't got the chance to just send them the information what happened. But yeah, I mean these are these are this is the situation we're all in. We tried to build these uh software and all that and they have glitches so we appreciate the whole community bearing with us while we solve, solve the issues. But we all uh, know, at least you know, what our mission is, what we want to build, and you know, it takes time. We hopefully are going to get there. So yeah, that was my um, funny,
2: I think, um, interaction with privacy tools recently.
1: Yeah, that's, um, I, I, I don't know if we should call that a bug or a feature, right? Where like you're, you're doing something, you move the money, you don't know where it went. I mean, that's kind of a feature in the privacy space, right? That's the whole point. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you knew who you were sending it to, right? You were like sending it to yeah. your own account, but also when you don't receive your money, then you're like, oh, well, that, that was too much privacy, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: Right. Where did it go? Where did it go? All right. Travis, um, what about you? Yeah. You know, the thing that comes to my mind, I don't have a a personal story right now. um, But one of the things that came to my mind, maybe in the space, that is an interesting one to highlight is when the physical addresses of a lot of the people that had ledger hardware wallets was leaked. Um, And, you know, So the all all the the physical addresses of where Ledger people actually lived and where obviously those Ledger wallets probably resided, um, you know, was was put out there uh, due to some sort of an informational hack uh, on Ledger, and you know, it just kind of is a great reminder that oftentimes you know you don't want to store that kind of information if if you know when you're building things you really want to build things in a way where you're not logging, not storing, not keeping any of that data, just because if you have it, it's just such a liability. Um, so that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I yeah, don't have uh, any other good stories.
2: Yeah, I think the, um,
1: the ledger hack was definitely, um, I mean, felt across the industry. Everyone was kind of, you know, nervous and watching their backs for the next few days. And I'm curious, does anyone know if, like, there were any other, like, sort of bad follow-up incidents from that hack? I know that all the phone numbers, addresses, I've been, I I still get random spam emails from quote-unquote ledger every now and then. But um, other than that, right, like, have we heard any major sort of stories from that?
5: I don't, you know, personally, I don't know of any. Um, I was curious about this as I traveled to DevCon and i was looking like oh my gosh are there any kind of uh you know physical attacks going on um but you know i i I don't think so i don't think that that's a a kind of a huge thing Uh, but I, i don't know that's just my perspective i don't have a whole lot of data to back
2: that up
1: oh you know what talking about physical attacks at devcon this was after the zk house and um This is pretty crazy. Harry from Nim was, he he was with me in the aftermath, but I was, I was walking back from the ZK House event, which is where, you know, we announced the Universal Privacy Alliance. Uh, And on the way back, I was like, probably crossing the street, I would have gotten to the hotel safely. As I was waiting at the intersection, I was texting on my phone, catching up on all this work. And then this, this motorcyclist just drives up out of nowhere. Drives up on the sidewalk, snatches my phone right out of my hand and drives off. <laughs> and, and my wallet conveniently is attached to my hand as or my phone as well. And so, like now, my wallet and my phone is gone. Um, you know, is that is that a direct attribution from the ledger hack? You know, we may never know, right? But um... <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'm let's, say let's keep the. No, I mean, but are you a hundred percent? I'm just kidding. All right, Tor, yeah, you've got the mic unmuted. We'll we'll hear from you next. But why don't you give an intro and then a, a privacy horror story? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm Tor. I'm the founder of Secret
3: Foundation. We contribute to the Secret Network ecosystem, an ecosystem that I've been working to grow since 2017. But the ecosystem goes back even further from than that. It's based on some original privacy research that was done by uh, Guy Ziskind, who's now CEO of Secret Labs, while he was a graduate student at MIT in 2015, where I was as well. Um, Those papers became the foundation for the entire project. That paper was called Decentralizing Privacy. So this is something that we've been trying to be leading on for uh, the past seven years, and we pride ourselves that getting pragmatic privacy solutions into production, not merely as sort of academic exercises. So for the last two years, we've had privacy-preserving smart contracts live on mainnet, on a privacy-preserving L1 in the Cosmos ecosystem. We're super proud of that. We've had tons of usage, a huge community all over the world, again, dating back at least to 2017 when the project was launched in the public blockchain ecosystem. So a ton of super passionate privacy supporters, especially the secret agents, Uh, which is part of the core of our community, just agents all around the world advancing the cause of Web3 privacy. Um, So this has been a lot of my adult life at this point, working on these issues, but there was some adult life before that. So before MIT, I was a derivatives trader and got out of that line of work because it has more to do with the problem than the solution. Now I'm trying really hard to work on what I would consider to be solutions because there's a lot of truly Terrible privacy risks, you know, web two aside, just in web three alone, by default, everything is a privacy risk. But the most amusing one that's not amusing recently uh, definitely didn't happen to me, but definitely happened to a lot of people uh, was if you go to celsiusnetworth.com and you can go look up exactly how much every single person lost investing with Celsius Network. And you can look up their real names. You can look up uh, exactly the the amount that was lost. Basically, this was all forced out in the public filing. Um, these are kind of nightmares. You know, they, they happen all the time. It's not, this didn't happen because this stuff was on chain. This just happened because it's a privacy nightmare. But you can imagine if the ETH addresses of all of these individuals are now, of course, linked to their real world identity. And ETH is a public by default network. You can not only see how much they lost with Celsius, you can see everything that these people did from the beginning of time to the present and everything that they will do in the future. It's just, we've made it impossibly hard to break that link. Uh, even if some piece of your data is leaked from outside your control, the fact that these links are really hard to break, but you know, trivially easy to surveil is a massive problem. So we're trying to build part of the solution, so is everybody up here on stage. Uh, so just excited to be celebrating Global Encryption Day with all of you, and thanks for the invitation.
1: Yeah, I think, Tor, you brought up a very timely and recent uh, and unfortunate um, incident through the through the Celsius bankruptcy filings, right? I mean, this is something that all bankruptcy filings kind of go through in terms of naming their creditors, but unfortunately, with all the I guess information that was leaked through this you know, well, document, um, people could just go on chain and start doxing wallet addresses. And I, I think, like, you know, the, the, the Celsius website that you had just mentioned is a good example of, you know, just simply pouring through the documents, right? It's not even linking to wallet addresses, but I, I can't imagine what sort of information you could get from all these people by, like, you know, doing that next step. Uh, not, not encouraging anyone to do so, but, you know, kind of scary that you can. Um, but yeah, moving on, uh, Josh, Hey, good to be here. Um,
4: yeah, my name is Josh. Swihart. I'm the senior vice president at electric coin company. So we invented and support, uh, Zcash. Um, I've been working on it full time for about five and a half years or excuse me, about four and a half years. And I did a myriad of things before that. So a few startups, some we exited, some failed. Um, I was a C dev way back in the day, ran a bulletin board way back in the day before the internet was really a thing. Um, so, with my terrible privacy experience, I'll actually share I, like, I went down a bad path. Um, so, I created the bad privacy experience. Um, a little over 20 years ago, I um, was hired by a US entity to build out a, situ- a situational analysis platform for a country in the Middle East. Mostly it was focused on tasking and ingesting imagery from a number of satellites and um, using GIS and other platforms to assess what's happening kind of on the ground areas of interest over time. And my architect for that and I um, worked on a startup together and then we used similar technologies to build a really rich intelligence about millions of Americans using about Uh, 26 different data sources including social media imagery and um, all that metadata Uh, and initially we were focused on advertising and we knew who you were and who your family was and where you lived and the type of travel you enjoyed your disposable income Um, we uncovered all kinds of secrets about people and alternate identities uh, through this platform and then we even um Built a kind of a capability to predict how good you were at your job and how much money you should be making, um, and we thought we were being good and, and um, building good tools. And a government um, contractor was interested in some of the tech and was um, wanted to acquire it to determine which people they should hire based upon political bias. So we actually, it was about that time we we thought this is getting really creepy. Uh, It really opened our eyes in terms of how much data was out there and could be used to manipulate people. This was all pre-Cambridge Analytica, Um, and so we completely shut that program down. Um, So then, when I started exploring crypto, it was pretty easy to like see the oncoming nightmare where everyone adds their financial activity to this already robust set of data that's available to um, kind of all of these companies and governments and hackers and thieves around the world, and so.
2: Uh, that privacy disaster that I was working on um, was a thing that uh, really kind of flipped me and um, and the reason I'm here. Wow. Okay. Well, um, thanks for the heads up.
1: I'm gonna now proceed to block you on all my social media so you don't have access to any of my data. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, like while we're while we're being fully transparent here, I think like Josh, I, I also have a, a pretty similar experience in terms of, you know, the being on the other side of the privacy uh this spectrum. I, I, I was doing uh, M&A for the largest uh, AI company in China. Um, and man, this is some of the stuff that I was seeing was intense, right? Like there were these... Um, five kilometer cameras that you would put up at the top of like mountains or skyscrapers and these five kilometer cameras could detect hundreds of faces and just sweep an entire area where like you know it's it, five kilometers away right i it, it could detect your face before you even could could see the skyscraper and so yeah i mean definitely definitely being on the other side of the the privacy spectrum is like wow like there's there's a lot of things going on, a lot of data collection, a lot of data harvesting and like subsequent use of that data that is non consensual. And, you know, we're as citizens, we're not even made aware of any of it. So it's uh, definitely pretty intense. Um, I don't know. I don't know if your situation was worse or mine was worse, but either way it was uh
2: yeah.
4: All not good. All the reasons, I mean, what we're working on and and this, you know, the thing that we're celebrating this day, it's all like, so, so, super important. It's not just this theoretical, why do we need um, privacy if we're not doing uh, anything nefarious? Um, The reality is that people are using that data to try to manipulate our behavior all the time.
2: Um, Yeah.
1: So it's good we're all here. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot of studies published now. It's just like, you know, what, what free will do we really actually even have anymore? <laughs> like, is our is our decision to purchase something even our own decision, or is it just actually all kind of premeditated by algorithms? Uh, but anyway, that's that's an even bigger topic here. But in the interest of time, you know, we're still in introductions here. Uh, Ahmed,
2: last but not least, um, you know, also on the Nim team. Hey guys, uh, sorry for the delay. Um... I was waiting
7: for the Matrix to tell me to unmute the microphone. Um, And my name is Ahmed Kapoor, uh, and I'm here representing uh, NIM Technologies. Um, As my colleague Jess uh, mentioned, uh, NIM is a Swiss privacy startup that provides uh, network layer, layer zero privacy. Um, we have something called the NIM network that is a, um, a decentralized, incentivized, uh, and permissionless uh, mixnet. Um, as for my background, I kind of have a, a an atypical background in that um, I'm a computer scientist um, that, I, I mean, I worked at SGI and Sun Microsystems um, doing diag work and design work for high-performance computing chips. Um, And then I became a lawyer. Um, I uh, became a human rights lawyer uh, working on Guantanamo cases, and then a trial lawyer uh, focused on mostly federal hacking and national security cases, but some um, civil cases as well. Um, And then I became a law professor um, at Boston University. Um, But now I'm also a general counsel for NIM technologies. So. Um, unique uh, or terrible privacy uh, experiences uh, besides having to give you my full bio just now, felt a little weird. Um, I, uh, I will tell a story. I don't think I, 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 I've been thinking about this for the past 20 minutes or so um, and I can't pick out which story is worse. So I'm just going to go for like a new story uh, that describes a different type of uh, privacy violation, maybe. Uh, So a few um, years ago, uh In Minnesota, there was uh a um like a a fraud case where this guy walks into a bank and claims to be a local resident um, and uh takes out like thirty thousand bucks. Um, And so the police are conducting an investigation and they have no idea how to track this guy down because all they know about him is that he used uh, the name of a local resident. Um, I don't remember the name of the resident except uh, his last name was Junker or Junk, something like that. So Mr. Junker, uh, right, uh, is the local resident that has their ID stolen. Um, So, in order to find this guy, uh, the police have this idea to request basically all the user information. Or anyone in the town of like, I don't know, 50 or a hundred thousand, uh, that searched the name of this other guy, uh, who is the, uh, who, who is the, the victim of the crime. Right. So imagine you're the victim of this crime. Someone just stole $30,000 from you. It's probably insured, you'll probably get it back right on the one hand, but in pursuing the crime, uh, now the police have requested from Google, basically all of the, um, the, the the email address the i p address the account information for every person in the town who has searched your name over the course of like i think it was two months um so you know interesting sort of a uh, uh, variation on the general warrant and i think um one thing it uh, one other thing it does is sort of underscore uh the fact that all of our data so long as we rely on centralized entities um on the internet um, our data is
2: Definitely, there's no such thing as real real privacy on the internet if we're relying on centralized third parties for services. Wow, yeah, Ahmed, I think um, it, just to kind of follow up on this because the story you
1: gave was so um, I, I think really, really fascinating and it, and it opens up a question that I've always been kind of curious about. you know when it comes to you know Google or Fang in general, or just like tech companies, right? Like what percentage? of, I, I guess, these types of warrants or maybe even subpoenas, do you say they kind of refuse versus actually a, a, like just, hey, here's all the information? Do you have any sort of thoughts on that or indication off the top of your head?
2: I have no,
7: uh, I, I don't know of any company that actually releases this information. Maybe Twitter might. They're pretty transparent uh, in terms of their reporting. Um, but I would imagine it wouldn't be more than 1%. I mean, I can't imagine more than 1% of, in terms of actually challenging the, uh, the request for data, but I defer to others that might know this. Right. Um, but, uh, what I think surprises a lot of people though, is the number of requests coming from the government that, um, are warrantless because they're only a subpoena like a subpoena is a, it's a legal instrument that can get you um, any, uh, the famous quote about a subpoena is, uh, the public has a right to any man's evidence, right? So it's a very, very powerful instrument that has no attached uh, realistic threshold. In other words, the threshold for getting a subpoena on somebody is relevance, right? So if all I have to do is make a showing that getting your information is relevant to a criminal investigation, then I should be able to get the subpoena. I have the authority, right? Um, and so I, you know, it's been shown that merely wanting to know if you're involved in the investigation um, is sufficient to generate relevance, right? So all I have to do is say that I'm trying to figure out if this guy's guilty or has any re- relation to this uh, case, And I basically have made, uh, you know, uh, surpassed the threshold that I need to surpass to get uh, data, financial records, um, phone records, uh, et cetera, from third parties that have been uh, centralized third parties, you know, more specifically that have been uh, provided by
1: users. That's crazy. Only 1%. It's like,
2: it's like someone's full...
1: Yeah, yeah, but in that case it's like it's someone's full-time job to reveal information to like government entities. That's 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 a lot of work. Wow. Oh, it's actually that's...
7: a team. There's actually a whole team, I think at any like at a Google, there's definitely a whole team that that works on compliance with stuff like subpoenas and uh
2: uh data requests. It wouldn't be it couldn't be a person obviously. I mean, it's just so much data. That's even scarier. All right. Well, I mean, I mean,
1: just to kind of move the conversation forward. Um, I think like maybe we can just start off at a higher level, right? Like because this is Global Encryption Day, you kind of want to just start the conversation with understanding a little bit more of like where you guys find your inspiration from, whether it's, you know, cryptographers or cypherpunks or projects that you've seen, like, you know, are there are there any well respected or who do you respect most in this sort of space? Um kind of opening it
2: up for anyone who wants to go first. All right, now, if, if no one wants to go first, then we're going to have to do this business school style.
1: And, you know, who knows business school better than Tor? <laughs> Actually, Travis,
5: uh, I saw you unmuted.
1: <laughs> go for it. Go
3: for it, Travis. I yield. I graduated. I don't have to do this sure. anymore.
5: <laughs> I mean, the thing that just popped into my head, and it's not necessarily a cryptographer, but uh, you know, just working at Orchid and running um, a VPN and trying to get people access to the open internet. We see, you know, over the last four years, I've been here, so many different groups of people being firewalled, um, and just the current situation that's happening in Iran um, of people protesting and trying to you know, use encryption to get information out, uh, about what's really happening there. Um, I think, you know, the women that are protesting there and everything that's happened is a, a, pretty serious situation going on. Um, and, uh, anyways, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of heroism that is happening there right now. That's a great point. We were like some, of, some of the
4: heroes, like you can point out the heroes of kind of cryptography over, over time, right. the, the Phil Zimmerman Zimmermans and the Timothy Mays and those folks. And, um, but some, like the, the people that inspire me. Like we met with a gentleman this morning that is a hacktivist in, uh, South America. It's actually introduced to me by, by Harry from NEM. Um, and he's doing work with indigenous people to protect the environment, protect rainforests, um, and educate hackers in all across South America. And it's super dangerous. People are losing their lives. Um, and uh, it's people like that that are, they're, they're putting their own kind of lives uh, on the line and need privacy and need encryption in order to make that work. Uh, those are, for me, those are the kinds of people that, that inspire me.
7: Yeah, I would say just ditto that um, prior experience. Uh, this is Ahmed uh, from NIM um, uh, that I've had uh, in Egypt uh, Organizing or Syria, um, and I, I know our founder uh, CEO Harry as well. At least with respect to Syria, um, I think that is when um, privacy and cryptography is really potentially the difference between life and death, right? And between between freedom and basically open air prisons. Um, and so that I think is really like for me the
2: driving sort of a force in this work. I I don't have terribly much to add because, you know,
3: I've been very heads down in the secret ecosystem for some time. And what first attracted me to get into building privacy technology was really perceiving the technological issue even more than the issue of the human right. But it didn't take long to sort of not get radicalized, but to come to understand uh, the extent to which these are issues globally as an American, I know that I do not feel uh, as much as people who who live in other countries and other cultures where they're oppressed on a much more substantial basis on a daily basis. And I learned so much from the stories of people in these different ecosystems that continues to inspire me to just press on on the technical side, while knowing that I'll never likely experience anything to the degree that they've experienced. I just have respect for anybody who does things in practice, right? Just anybody who does anything in production, trying to bring solutions to real people that see the end user at the end of these solutions very clearly, even more clearly than the problems at hand, knowing that these will have consequences for the people who will then come to rely on these technologies. And in this space, I've I've worked with a lot of pragmatists. I've worked with a lot of technologists. I've also worked with a lot of academics. Everybody kind of has a place, but the ones who inspire me the most are the ones who want to see these things in action on the ground and aren't afraid to throw themselves in the thick of it. I, I don't even consider myself to be at the extremes of that. I just I see those people. They inspire me. They inspire everybody in our community. And what we hope is that with all the technologies we're creating, we're also going to create more activists and more people who will then be taking to the streets to defend the rights that these technologies are designed to protect as well.
6: Sure, I think I'm the last one. Um, I do also want to say that um, all the time, the fact that there has there have been these free tools that people all over the world could use to basically, I have so many friends in Iran that, and I know their higher stories that just, just the simple things of like being able to access information, just being able to like, you know, access the free world and um, getting your voice heard. Um, there's a lot of hurdles in there and we kind of now all know what's going on there and how that's happening. And i um, Until things like this happen, no one would know the necessity and usefulness of these um, technologies and tools. And the fact that so many people basically, you know, build these um, uh, free-to-use tools that Purely, basically, they are NGOs. They're not for profit, and they are there to help people in these circumstances. Are very inspiring and very nice. And also, there is the fact that um, people think that um, apart from like all these social aspects of it, and the fact that so many people in so many suppressed parts of the world do need these technologies. Um, there's the fact that um, we we, we kind of look at privacy in a way that. Um, somehow um, you might you don't care for privacy or you don't people think you don't have to care for privacy until you have something to hide which is a very wrong way of looking at this thing because things can go wrong very quickly and very fast and when they do um, you sometimes find yourself in the situations that you don't have any tools to protect yourself and very um, I think simple examples of this is like uh, we do take for granted the fact that we live in the parts of the world that are kind of free democratic but just like with the case of the abortion, right in the U.S., um, when some people just come and make this decision decisions on behalf of, like you know, um, the whole um, country and nation, and then suddenly those who need to, you know, um, you know, if, if you were a woman and you needed to, you know, um, find yourself places that you could take care of the situation, an abortion, and you would be, you know, um, you you were worried, like, you know, of using the communication tools that you had or payments for this thing. None of these exist if things go wrong, that we can um, easily go about our business and do our things without having to worry about them. And I mean, a good example of this is also like, I go back to Iran, because I know people that this has happened to, um, that um, the the tools that they were using, on a daily basis, um, suddenly t- can take against turn against them and be- become this very um, evil thing. So, um, I know people who were like using this uh, application called Snap, which is a equivalent of um, Uber Eats um, that we have here. Um, um, when uh, some of them were in the protest, uh, their faces were recognized by the um, the, uh, the CCTVs. There the, were uh, footages of them, and then they used image recognition. They figured who they were, and then um, the police goes um, to, the, um, to their house. The flatmates open the door and um, tell the police that, no, we don't know where, the, uh, where our friend is. He hasn't been here for a while. And then the police say, oh, well, you're full of shit. You're lying. Uh, he used uh, Snap and ordered food last night here. So things simple as this, when um, put in the wrong hands or, you know, in the bad situations can really turn really um, the whole situation against you. So, and um, obviously, these are not things that we think of on daily basis. I mean, it might never happen in this part of the world. But um, if we do have these tools, then, you know, rogue governments can't also come into power. And i mean it is it is not totally impossible like this this might be very pessimistic view of the world but i don't know with all these uh, far right um movements in the, in europe um climate crisis with um i don't know like we know, we know the world is going to the um towards a place that um it calls more and more for privacy protection to prevent these bad things happening so i think that's my inspiration and i will quiet now sorry i went for a rant
1: no, don't be sorry. I think this is amazing. I think all the all the sort of responses so far have indicated two really awesome things and I'm glad that this is where the conversation's heading, right? Because, you know, I had originally asked, you know, what sort of projects and cryptographers and, you know, the, on the on the sort of like more notable side inspire you guys. But the responses that I'm hearing is like there's there's so many problems in this world right now when it relates to privacy that you know for for better or for worse is as, as josh had mentioned right like it it literally means people's lives and uh and it's not about just focusing on you know like what we're doing or what the projects are doing or what the founders are doing but more so like highlighting the 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 efforts the grassroots efforts that are happening all around the world in places and i guess situations that we probably have never experienced and will be fortunate enough to not have to experience in our own lives. And, you know, Jess, I think, you know, your example with the whole snap, I think you said it's called snap, um, the Uber Eats equivalent, right? Like, yeah, that 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 leads into sort of like my next question, because you know, with 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 these sort of centralized entities, no matter how good they want to be, necessarily, right? Where you where you, I think, as Jess, you described it, change from like good to evil, right? Um, it, it's a single point of failure, and you can squeeze that pressure point that could ultimately result in these sort of privacy violations. That you know, one day these these sort of entities that you originally trusted are now you know working against you, right? And so, like, I'm I'm curious to know, like. In, in a broader perspective, like what what has gone wrong with like centralized privacy uh, narratives and just like centralized applications and uh, how they approach privacy? And like, what is our response to that and Web3 and like how ultimately like how can we do better? Um, oh, I love talking about how when things yeah, went wrong that I can do
3: yeah web Web 2 went wrong in like so many ways i mean I, again like it, a lot of this comes down to just like it does in web 3 incentives and what web 3 is trying to do is build all of these permissionless systems where you don't necessarily have to trust the person on the other side you sort of trust the incentives inherent to the system and somehow the right thing occurs where you're trusting uh the correctness of that system not because Politically, somebody is compelled to act properly, but because the economic incentives themselves compel compel correctness in the system. Uh, now, in Web 2, incentives are pretty clear. Uh, people wanted to make a lot of money with the Internet. And there has always been this weird tension. I say this in keynotes a lot where, where it's like information wants to be free, but it also wants to be expensive. It's a... Uh, you know, to, to adapt the, the, the quote. And uh, the reason it wants to be free is because it's super, super cheap to collect in Web2. But the reason it wants to be as expensive is because it's so valuable once you do. You collect it, you repackage it, you create products that are based on aggregating that user information. You sort of repackage the user, and of course, then they become the product. And it was impossible to stop this from a technological perspective once people became monopolists for these systems. And they made so much money doing it as platforms. And for a long time, the argument was, well, obviously users want it this way, or why would they continue using the products? And there were two issues with that. One is they didn't know that it was happening. And two is that they had no credible alternative. Like there was no way to use Facebook without using Facebook. You're either cutting yourself off from the billions of people who are using it, or you know, you're you're complicit. In the system so first people had to understand what was going horribly wrong and then they had to have the choice whether to opt out or not and in the meantime for most people it really wasn't much of a choice at all uh, the incentive was always there to create those systems to scale those systems and to optimize those systems for compromising user privacy and it created these honeypots, and it created the opportunity for all of these systems to get corrupted web3 purported to fix this by saying oh it's all trustless now Uh, But they didn't really fix the privacy issue. Maybe they were trying to solve this trustlessness or permissionlessness issue, but they didn't solve the privacy issue at all. In fact, they made it probably a thousand times worse. And now what we're left with is a bunch of radically transparent public by default systems in Web3. And again, people may not understand what they're really consenting to when they use those systems. But it's not enough to say these systems are decentralized, therefore they are empowering, therefore they are improving on what we had in web two in very meaningful ways, they're making things so much worse. And now the cost of collecting your data that you're generating with a blockchain is even less than it was in web two. And companies like Chainalysis get to be, you know, 10 figure, 11 figure companies just by collecting and repackaging that data just like they would in web two. So things are not necessarily getting better unless we build things to make them better in Web3. Um, but everybody on the stage is trying to build things better. I'm, I'm glad that they are. I'm glad things seem to be getting better, especially on a narrative perspective. People are starting to understand that we have not solved the problems of Web2 with Web3. Uh, but that took a long time. That took a long time to explain. It took a long time to build the technologies. And I think it'll be the dominant conversation in the Web3 space over the next few years. And I think privacy overall will be the dominant conversation about the internet over the next
1: decade yeah i think a lot of what you had mentioned just now Tor, um aligns with kind of the experience as well as you know what josh is kind of seeing in the space as well right with with web 2 and his experience on i guess again for lack of a better term productizing people uh as <laughs> you described Tor. wow that's a very powerful description um and then kind of seeing this all manifest in a much more like decentralized uh, manner and, you know, how that can be used as a tool against all the users in sort of the web three space would love to kind of hear your perspective on, you know, what we can do better as well, Josh.
2: Yeah, I, I, I tore it spot
4: on. Um, and I don't, um, just had mentioned earlier, right. That Like the tools were in this kind of clumsy, awkward, maybe early teenage stage where we kind of don't know where to store our arms and we have hair growing in weird places Um, it stuff just doesn't work right. And, um, there's a lot of experimentation and it's, it's moving, you know, it's, it's moving pretty fast. And I don't know if we completely understand what the incentives are and I don't know that we completely understand all the unintended consequences. And, um, like when we talk about stuff like privacy, privacy isn't a binary thing, it's a spectrum. And so, uh, you leak data all the time. Uh, and anytime you interact across these systems, these kind of now like federated systems, you're leaking information all over the place. And, and we don't even know yet, I don't think what the, um, what the consequences are. So I think it's important to be intentional and vigilant, um, and in the same way that we do security audits as it relates to uh, the technology, the underlying technology, whether it works. We ought to be doing privacy audits, audits and kind of understanding where all the data leakages are. Um, so, but like just having this many people, uh, kind of working on
1: these problems, uh, gives me hope. Awesome. Thanks for that input, Josh. Uh, anyone else? Uh, just a short sort of note. Um,
7: so I agree with, uh, everything that Tor and Josh, um, were saying. Um, I feel like, um, a huge part of the problem has been, um, basically i guess what you might call surveillance capitalism right where the profit model turns on exploiting data um and of course in conjunction with laws that are designed for a non-digital networked world there's this huge burgeoning sort of like uh data collection phenomenon and then because of surveillance capitalism because of advertising revenue, et cetera. We got better at managing the data. We got better at processing the data. So in many ways, that's a good thing, right, in terms of the innovations. Um, But I think one of the things that Web3 does, or at least the companies in this chat, um, in this space, um, um, one of the things it does is sort of rely on an alternative system for incentivizing the service, right? Like, I don't think any of us um, actually intend to incentivize uh, either the the, um, the nodes in our in our networks or any sort of the actors that make our systems go uh, with data right and so that model alone I think is quite revolutionary
4: um, and uh, that is I think one of the, the big sort of
2: innovations of web3 in this space Got it thanks for adding that on on
5: Travis yeah, yeah I uh, just completely agree with that my background uh, was coming from a growth marketing kind of position at a big uh, company into it, and you know we we used all sorts of invasive tracking we had uh, Kochava, which was in our app that was essentially kind of tying user uh, behavior and uh, ads that were seen and ads that were clicked you know back to a, a centralized kind of repository um, and I saw just a lot of how ad tech sort of works, um, you know, to kind of that point of, of you know, these it's kind of creating these different models of, of behavior analysis and surveillance capitalism to see like what types of people will click on things or what types of people are going to buy, you know, your product. Um, so it's it's been refreshing to jump onto the other side of, of that and uh, to try to think of new ways of incentivizing people. So it's not just, hey, everything's for free with an asterisk, but maybe you have to pay a tiny amount, uh, you know, just kind of thinking of different ways, because uh, it's seemingly like the internet started and it was more federated and it was better in some ways and web 2.0 was kind of a movement towards this everything's free with an asterisk Um, and so I think you know I think there's better ways we can we can build things.
6: I also totally agree with that last point Um, I mean I think we kind of all know what the problems with web 2.0 is the fact that like you know We've all heard like, if it's free, you're the product. But I think we as um, end users, like all of us should also start learning the fact that if we really like a product, if we really like a service, if we believe in what they're doing, we should learn to start paying for things right and the more people pay for things it can become cheaper for everyone and it can also incentivize basically uh, the usage of these products in part of the world that they cannot pay for it so and it doesn't have to be expensive but i think people's mentality should change and maybe crypto has this advantage because it has this um cryptocurrencies attached to it it might be able to incentivize people using these products by you know in giving them something back, so I think there's a chance that the model can change from like you being the product, then you being like someone who pays for a product, and then also <clears throat> you can get benefit from it.
1: Yeah, I, I think like thinking about how we can change that model is definitely something that's top of mind, and especially with like how it, how we witnessed how broken it is with Web 2, right? And and I think like something that Josh had mentioned about you know moving fast and breaking things and is you know, trying to figure out how we you know, survive this puberty cycle. Of the uh, with the with the weird hair analogies—that was a great one. Uh, I think one one perspective I want to kind of take on moving fast and breaking things. Yes, we're doing that on the tech side, and especially in Web three with like so many experiments going on. Um, but on the other side, right? Like, I, I think like you know one of the one of the move fast and break things sort of images that come to mind recently is, and I hate to harp on this, but now that we have. Ahmed on the call, I, I definitely want to get more perspective from the legal side. Is Tornado Cash, right? I mean, I feel like OFAC has definitely moved fast and broke some things on the on how we perceive Web three uh, with with the recent sort of Tornado Cash sanctions. And you know, just kind of wanted to to hear from from you, Ahmed, especially with your legal background, right? Like, you know, what what do you think?
2: You know, like, where is this all headed? Yeah, I think that, um, so I think, um, thanks for asking the question. I think, uh,
7: but 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 uh, I will note that we have like four minutes left for the spaces, right? So you, I'm sort of painted in a corner on uh, summarizing the whole world uh, in like four minutes. But um, let me tell you this, right? Uh, where are we headed? Uh, first, is this a problem for Web3 um, exclusively? I don't think so at all. Um, the fact that OFAC uh, designated an entity uh, or called an entity or defined as an entity something that is just a smart contract uh, on the Ethereum blockchain is hugely problematic. Uh, it has attracted attention beyond Web3 in terms of uh, the First Amendment implications, the freedom of speech implications, obviously, they're tied to the First Amendment, as well as just the authority of OFAC to designate software, um, because, uh, you know, it, it's sort of uh, if you're given authority, if the president essentially is given authority by Congress, that they may declare a national emergency. In this case, the national emergency that was declared is the one against uh malicious cyber incidents, uh, overseas cyber operations that Obama declared back in uh, 2015, right? And then you delegate that authority to the treasury and the treasury delegates that authority to OFAC. Um, The original power that Congress gave to uh, the president um, allows the president to designate entities, um, to designate persons, to designate countries, um, but not to designate something like software. I mean, that's, that's essentially like a huge first uh, or a question of first impression here is whether you can designate something that is not, or more specifically whether or not software is an entity, whether or not it's, it can be called a group an organization and so on. Um, and just that alone, I think uh, it kind of gives pause to everyone in the tech community writ large, or should give pause to everyone in the tech community. Um, because if the only criteria for designation is that, uh the technology is used by um uh you know an actor uh to further uh an act that we have uh that that is under the umbrella of our national emergency in this case again malicious cyber incidents uh then that would be like saying okay well a t and t or you know um a uh, a a network provider a phone provider a tele- telecom provider uh can be designated for facilitating um, you know, a communication by uh, Al Qaeda or the Taliban, et cetera, when they were designated. It'd be the same sort of thing, right? So we have to dig in a little deeper. Um, is it uh, why, you know, so what is the justification essentially that OFAC gave uh, for designating uh, tornado cash uh, besides the fact that uh, the facilitation of ransomware? Um, so, what are the factors that maybe can distinguish tornado cash from other? uh types of software and that you know at least from from the 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 legal perspective from the compliance and legal and analyzing risk perspective that's something that you have to do even if you disagree with the the designation right Mm -hmm. um so that you can um begin to have some sort of like guidance or certainty in sort of where the line is going to be drawn uh because this opens it up completely um to the world of software um Am I making sense so far? Are there follow-up questions on on that so far? We should actually just do an hour about OPAC
1: at some point. Would love that. I think that, you know, everything that you've just kind of summarized so far has already been really enlightening. I think, uh, you know, especially because normally these kind of conversations happen outside of anyone with like, you know, really... Proper uh, legal experience, who's really been walking the space, especially around Web three privacy, right? And so, like just to mm-hmm. just to understand a little bit more about whether or not this is exclusive to Web three versus the broader sort of technology stack, right? Is is already like super, I think, fascinating.
7: I think the concern that it's a Web three issue uh, is because of the so the national emergency that was declared in 2015 is related to malicious cyber incidents or malicious cyber operations. Um, and then you have the Lazarus Group designation, uh, right? Which is the uh, the hacking group that did the Sony hack, that did the Bank of Bangladesh, and and so on, right? Uh, um, and then it became okay. We're going after those that facilitate ransomware, right? Um, and there's this problem where you want to stop ransomware somehow, um, but you can't request, like, what are you going to do, Uh, you know, um, regulate the hospital that gets attacked to the point that they can't get attacked? Very, very difficult. Regulate Microsoft to the extent that they no longer create vulnerable software? Probably impossible, right? So maybe let's go after the hackers, right? So we have all these criminal laws that make hacking a crime. And so far, that's not working. It's not deterring the bad actors, right? So then the next sort of it's like triage, right on this national emergency. So the next step is, well, let's go after the money, right? Let's uh, strang- strangle them in the same way that you would strangle like a, a terror group, right? So it, it, there was, Al-Qaeda was designated at some point and any sort of interaction, any sort of transfer of goods or funds uh, or, or, uh, or, or, or business with them would be a criminal violation, right? And so the result of that is that, it, or ideally the result of that is that AQ no longer, Al-Qaeda no longer has any. Funding sources, right? Um, so if this is the case, and we're trying to strangulate Lazarus Group, well, we've already designated them, right? But the problem is that we can't effectuate the designation, um, and at least according to uh, sort of the security apparatus, the reason that we can't effectuate this designation, we can't actually achieve our objectives here, is because they're getting around uh, the uh, the um, the sanctions, right? And they're getting around the sanctions using crypto well let's figure out a way then to make them not do that right and so it seems as though the the sort of element within that at least from the strategic perspective the u.s government's strategic perspective it's like the lowest hanging fruit there's probably tornado cash Um, and uh, for several reasons that i could probably get into but like from their strategic perspective and that's why it was designated Um, And I don't think that they thought through a lot of the issues that make it potentially a First Amendment nightmare or potentially um, um, uh, uh, an authority, like a a delegated authority nightmare for for OFAC or for the executive at large. Um, And you've seen, you know, some backtracking like, okay, well, you can store the code. Don't worry about it. You can read the code. You know, next it'll be like you could run the code, but so long it'll be
2: basically like, well, you could do everything that Tornado Cash was doing except for, um, except for, um, except for uh, facilitating uh, uh, desi- the, the
7: ransomware attacks by, desi- by, um, by designated groups, um, which is actually kind of ironic, right? Like you could probably fork the code right now. Um Call it tornado cache two, and technically it wouldn't be designated like it would just be another entity that would later then have to be designated by ofac. but the problem is, of course, as every as you guys know, is um, even if somebody were to do that it's the, the issue is getting the pools and then in that way getting it up and running again um, and so that would be actually an interesting thing to game out like if if there was tornado tornado cache two right now, somebody forked the code, put it on the ethereum blockchain. And then the the sort of associated pools started to form. Um, I wonder if
2: what like I don't know if I were the government what I would what I would do at that point. Um, But it's just a a fleeting thought. All right, guys, you heard it here first. It's two NATO cash, the 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 (laughs)
1: revival. (laughs) Finally, finally, Um,
3: they're taking my name out of the equation.
1: Um, I, I think like there's this this kind of kind this goes back to I think a comment that Josh made um, during the UPA announcement back in uh, back in East Bogota as well or, or DevCon Bogota sorry um, and and uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong Josh but I remember you mentioning something about is FinCEN saying that you can do anonymous things as long as those anonymous things are not illegal. Uh, which which kind of is a bit vague and and kind of to Ahmed's point that, you know, we forked Tornado Cash today, ran it again on the Ethereum blockchain and just said, hey, Lazarus Group and, you know, all you bad guys out there don't get on it. Then technically, that version of Tornado Cash could just run smoothly, right? Until it's designated. Until it's designated. Okay, but okay, all right. It was, but like, what, what reasons would it have, or like, what would it have to do to get designated? Like, apart from, apart from servicing enemies of the state?
2: Like, if I mean, it was. I think if that's it,
7: it, frankly. Like, it's, it's actually a really interesting question. Like, if you. That's why I think it's kind of interesting. Like, if, if it was forked, if there was two NATO cash, um, <laughs> at that point, I don't like I, I don't see any immediate justification for OFAC to designate them, especially given their
2: justification for designating tornado cash. So it's, 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 I think you would have to wait for the
7: same thing to happen to happen again, I think, but it's sort of otherwise, um, then the case could be made that OFAC can designate any piece of software based on its intended, no, not even its intended functionality, based on its potential functionality before it's even been used by anybody, right? So that would be kind of, well, significantly worse than what's already happened.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of just to wrap up here, because, you know, in the interest of time, I know that we, we set an hour, you guys are super busy people, Um, And and I think like we should definitely dedicate a whole conversation around this, Um, so we should plan that out in the future. Uh, But with that being said, right, like, unfortunately, I don't think we have. Uh, enough time to get community questions. But anyone who has any questions or any follow-ups, right, definitely follow the speakers and just ping them on social media. Uh, I'm sorry I'm volunteering you guys for this, but, you know, um, it would be great if you could just, you know, answer any questions on your own time. And um, in the interest of time here, let's just uh, wrap up with, you know, any last statements from uh, all the speakers. We'll we'll go with uh, Jess first. All right, I'll I'll open it up to whomever.
6: (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I didn't, I thought it's question time. Um, Not that you're expecting me to say something. Sorry, I missed that bit. Oh yeah, Uh, uh,
1: yeah, unfortunately we've got to wrap up because we're at the top of the hour. Um, So, you know, if you've got any sort of last statements around, you know, the conversation, around, you know, what next steps are, what people can do or anything on your mind, right? Just uh, let the audience know.
6: Sure. I think, um, given that we were talking about tornado cash and the imminent privacy problems that, um, the legal problems that we're facing now, I think, um, it, um, it would be good to note that the, I, I personally think that the the problem that the tornado caches of this world have is because is, is the fact that obviously it's not clear the money that goes in there, where does it come out from, right? So this always has been and will become the authorities' problem. That, um, no matter how much we want to try and fight this, that is our money, it's nobody's business, what we do with it. Um, the moment someone use, use these services for wrong purposes, um, the problem will come back again. So what I'm hoping and I, what I think can solve this problem is that um, once tornado caches or these um, zero knowledge proof systems are connected to services on the other end, and it would be clear where the monies are going without seeing who's sending those monies, the problem can kind of be solved. And um, I hope this would be the uh, where the um, industry would go to try to not just hide everything and every maybe bad activity, but try to build these technologies and then try to... Um, and then they become so easy to use that they become uh, mainstream mainstream enough for other services to use them. And for instance, I don't know your... Um supermarket that you want to use would just like you know integrate tornado cash instead of your um uh, visa bank card or something you know so this is this is this is the hope and the vision and I hope this is where it would go so um people's usages would be uh, anonymized and then the authorities would have to then go and shut down on the the bad services, like if there are services that should not exist, they should go and find them, right? And um, not uh, necessarily users who try to um, use those services. So the services should should be shut down. Um, This is, um, I think, my last statement. (laughs) And it was great to be here, it was very fun.
2: Yeah, thanks Jess, thank you for that. Uh, And thanks for being here as well. Uh, Travis? yeah i think um
5: it's been a great conversation here and uh sort a great sort of uh you know i'm really pleased with the u p a and how this is all coming together uh I think just testing out privacy tools and uh doing what we can in the space is uh what we can do at this stage and um yeah i i'm just happy to be part of this conversation and i uh, as we kind of see kind of everything that's going around uh, in the world, you know, there's different places that we can help and plug in and help people get connected to the internet um, and think through some of these problems. So um, I just, yeah, thanks everyone.
2: Thank you as well, Travis. Tor? Thanks
3: for having me. Yeah, please feel free to follow me personally or follow Secret Network. It's just at Secret Network if you're interested in staying on top of everything we're building. And if you're interested in joining a community DAO, that acts all over the world on behalf of Web3 privacy and privacy education. You know, we accept anybody with any skill set because it's going to take all of that to scale this message globally. So maybe you've got a marketing skill set, a design skill set, developing, you're you know you, you're a developer, you do business development, you're an entrepreneur, you're a researcher. Uh, we have working groups within Secret Agency for all of this uh, different endeavor. And it's all community organized, community driven. And that allows us to be in a lot more places than we could be otherwise. And that's going to be essential for global growth. So anybody listening who's interested in that, please check out the secret agents program. You can just go to scrt.network agents. It's got some more information on there. Uh, the general website for the projects is just scrt.network. So hoping that I'll connect with a lot of you on one of these properties, Twitter, internet, discord, otherwise, uh, and then hopefully see a lot of you in person at an upcoming
2: conference or the next upa event even awesome thanks Tor. josh yeah again thanks for having
4: having me and happy global encryption day and i think it's just important as we kind of go through this process and that we not let powers that be or whoever vilify privacy
2: um, because privacy is dignity of people it is consent uh, and privacy is normal so thanks again love it powerful and succinct. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um
7: I totally agree uh with uh remarks, uh, closing remarks of everyone. Um just a quick shout out to the NIM project, uh, NYM and then the word project uh on Twitter. Um please uh feel free to follow uh the NIM project myself uh or Jess if you have any follow-up questions. Um, and I look forward to, um, our next,
1: uh, UPA engagement. Awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, this is, um, this has been an awesome conversation, everyone. Uh, I think it's just opening up more questions. And so we definitely want to have follow-up topics around this. Uh, I think, you know, unfortunately we couldn't even get to audience conversations this time. And so you know, I-, I think like, please definitely follow the UPA uh priv underscore alliance on twitter. Uh we're gonna have more conversations like this. And so, you know, if you're interested in privacy, you want to get involved in that, and definitely, you know, follow us, keep up to date. We'll be at events in person as well. Um but yeah to everyone happy global encryption day. Thank you for being here and I hope you got a lot out of the conversation because I know I certainly did. So uh yeah. And thank you to all the speakers for taking the time. I know we're 15 minutes over and so You know, I'm going to give the time back and talk to you guys all later.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was UPA celebrates Global Encryption Day, featuring speakers from Manta, Orchid, Secret, and more. Recorded on Friday, October 21st, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Ben. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. Reading in a book, yo, I learned something nifty. The CIA was feeding people acid in the 50s. Some people knew it. Most of them didn't. It was like a little game they invented. Had the plug It was all about the research Gotta get turned on hollering me first Government reaction Is always kinda knee-jerk Not exactly what i like to see Out of my leaders Zen lunatics trying to see the other side Everybody likes to hide and seek When the dose is high Paranoid like People are watching me Well that's because People are watching See? If DMT is the Niagara So epiphanous beauty And psilocybin treats your mind Like a movie LSD wasn't the mind control They wanted So they kept designing. it drugs to haunt us. You are an explorer, and you represent our species. And the greatest good you can do is to bring back a new idea, because our world is endangered by the absence of good ideas. Our world is in crisis because of the absence of consciousness. Consciousness. Just another night in the cabin camp. Three drops hitting each time like, well, that happened Feeling like a weird alien on this planet I'm just passing through, staring at these inhabitants They didn't know, provocateurs infiltrating Lock your doors, trying to start a quiet ride so they could mop the floors Used to slay the forge, waiting for the drum roll And that's what happens when cutthroats get all the control Acting all manic, the passion is frantic The visuals are magic, so let your mind brandish This little weapon of mass dysfunction Red dawn down, now we're tripping with the Russians Free in a book, you will learn something nifty. The CIA was feeding people acid in the 50s. Some people knew it, most of them didn't, and you wonder why we harbor such resentment. Dicks. My notion of what the psychedelic experience is for is that we each must become like fishermen.